You can turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be taking a scroll, a summer stroll through the book of Romans. Uh, it's a little bit of a sprint at times, like next week, and other times it'll be a slower pace, like this week, where we go through part of Romans 1. The title for the sermon is Long Form Good News. If I remember, I'll explain that in a moment for those of you who don't know the, the phrase long form. Uh, I guess it's a word, not a phrase, but it, it references a kind of writing. In 2015, January, we were blessed, Tiffany and I were blessed to go to Israel. I've mentioned that before, and that's actually a picture that I took, that first one of the Roman road. One of the days we walked down that amazing stretch of Roman road. It's an extended section. And as we walked up the remains at the top of a hill, I believe we're a synagogue. It was some kind of center of worship. I don't remember exactly whether it was a synagogue or a Roman one, but I think it was a synagogue. And below us was Bet Shan. That's the pictures that you're seeing. Uh, it's an amazing set of ruins in Israel at a particular place. And as you look out on one side, you can see that amphitheater. As you look down below and a little bit in between where we were at and that amphitheater, you see everybody's favorite spot to take the pic a picture of a Roman-era bathroom. If you've seen somebody sitting on a stone toilet that's all in a row, it is probably, or if they're in Israel at least, a picture of Bet Shan. It's a big bathroom, and people really like to sit down on there and take pictures. But as you look past the synagogue and past the ruins, you also saw a familiar sight, not quite so old, the Golden Arches, because McDonald's is just over the hill from this amazing ruined city. I'd encourage you, if you ever have the chance to go to Israel, it's amazing. Hop in on a study tour, do a little bit of homework ahead of time, and then go be amazed as you walk through the stories that you see in Scripture and are reminded that God's Word is rooted in a real time and place, or really many real times in particular places throughout history, and it will help it pop to life. This summer, as I mentioned, we're going to walk down what's called the Romans Road, except it's an expanded version of it. It's Paul's expanded version of the Romans Road. I'll explain later on what typically is references the Romans Road, a couple verses to lead somebody to Christ or to walk them through the gospel, and it's excellent in its concise form. But throughout the years with our students, I have loved expanding that and explaining Paul's longer or long-form good news. Long-form, if you haven't heard that word before or, or seen it used in reference, it's kind of something, it's been around forever, but it's kind of something that's a response to the Internet's shortening of our attention spans and our articles as, as writers decided, I don't want to write a short story or a short article I want to give it the time that it's due. And so a few sites have popped up that claim to be long-form versions. I'll probably mention this again later, but with our students, I typically will say the, the essay instead of the tweet, or since they aren't really on Twitter anymore, the social media post versus the essay. And it's laying the essay out. And what, Roman, what Paul does in Romans to the Romans is give them a long, expanded version of the gospel. It isn't the elevator pitch for 30 seconds. 
It is a long scroll version of the gospel. So we're going to take a few months to go through it. That means this, though. There'll be a couple questions you have in Romans that I won't even come close to answering because I'm looking at his primary idea that's going through those passages, not some of the very wonderful details that he gets into it. At the same time, or at other times, I will hop into some of those questions, perhaps, that you have. You might not like my take on it. That's okay. Go study, see what other Christians say, and figure out why you think I'm wrong. As long as we both are agreeing on the gospel, we're in pretty safe territory. Let me start by reading Romans 1, 1 through 17, as we begin our steps down the Roman road. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received, the God, received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may, know at la- I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You look at verse two and it's interesting. He references that the gospel is not new. It was told about in the prophets beforehand. It was promised. You can look through the Old Testament and catch glimpses of the gospel all the way along. The entire Old Testament is driving people toward Jesus, the sacrificial lamb at the cross. Paul references that. It's a quick statement. Like I said, verse 2, he just tosses it in there. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul's making an argument in particular to the Jews that value the Old Testament. And he says, you can find this. I'm not making it up. The Gentiles wouldn't have cared as much. They'd have been fine just hearing the good news. But Paul, knowing that he's talking to some Jews, at least at times, says, go back and look at the Holy Scriptures. And the New Testament isn't around yet in the form that we know it. It's being written. He's pointing them backwards to the prophets. 
as you're reading the Old Testament, look for the gospel. It will pop out at you. One of the ways I explain that to our students is it's a little bit like it's, it's kind of going away, and I wish they hadn't, although we do have some photo books. When we used to gather at, at Christmas and Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house, and the kids got bored with the parent conversation, you know that moment I'm talking about from your own growing up? In our generation, we would grab the pictures, and we would look through them, and you'd see a funny picture of your dad as a little kid, or your mom as she was growing up, or grandma and grandpa before any of you existed, and they were young and hanging out at the lake, and you didn't recognize them because they looked very different. You see those same snapshots throughout the Old Testament. You can see the thread. You know who's there. It's a little different than you expected, but it's present. This is the storyline, and that's what Paul's saying. You can look back and see the snapshots of Jesus throughout the Old Testament all the way along from Genesis on. That's verse 2. Verse 7, he throws out an interesting phrase, all those in Rome, all those even in a different book, Philippians 4.22, even in Caesar's household, the gospel is going all the way to the core of Rome, no matter what Rome does, trying to stop it. At the end, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he talks about the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel has the ability to get anywhere. And we need to never forget that. The person you think is farthest away from God, the gospel can reach. We need to pray accordingly knowing that the gospel has the power to go even to Caesar. And eventually it does, historically speaking. Verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want you to think about a couple things right now. But first, I'm going to start with my thankfulness. I want to thank my God for all of you. 25 years ago, right now, Tiff and I had moved to San Luis, and we had no idea what was coming. And it has been so cool to get to this point. We are so thankful for grace. That's what Paul's saying. He hadn't met them yet. But he's thankful that God's power has worked in them. And he's thinking of his pastoral role with them. But I also want you to think about this. What's our reputation? He says their reputation, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Rome and Roman Christians are being talked about. It's having an impact, like I said, all the way to Caesar's house. It was inevitable and inescapable. Rome was trying to squash it and could not. The powerful Roman road-building structure could not eliminate the gospel. It couldn't wipe out the church no matter how and the various ways that it tried. What is our reputation? What's our reputation as an American church? What's our reputation as evangelicals? Earned or otherwise, sometimes it's not accurate. Most importantly, though, what is our reputation as grace here in our city? Spend some time this week thinking about that. As you bump into people, 
how do they perceive us? There was a study recently, uh, I'm going to reference a couple studies. Some of these will be linked in my notes if, if, they, if and when they post online. This one will not. But there was a study recently that I saw that said evangelicals in the U.S., we have a pretty good view of ourselves and how we think people think about us, and it does not match how people actually think about us. There's a disconnect. We think pretty highly and positively about us. And the world has a different taste in its mouth as it encounters us. We need to wrestle with that. That doesn't mean the world's right. Don't get me wrong. The world could be incorrect about how they perceive us. But we need to wrestle with how they perceive us. And whether the offense is the gospel, which scripture says it will be offensive, or the offense is us and the rough edges that God is still working on. We need to think about it. Here in Grace, here at Grace and in Santa Maria, I love hearing about Grace's reputation at times. And I know sometimes we encounter some of the other perceptions that people have at Grace. I don't always understand what they see if it's not as positive as the experience I've had. But we need to wrestle with that. Here with Rome, Paul is excited about what's happening. And I want to encourage you, Grace, there are many positive stories about what's happening here at Grace because of the power of the gospel and little g, grace. But we need to wrestle with it. The other thing we need to think through is what do we want it to be? What do we want our neighbors to think of when they see us or hear that we are attending grace? When they hear that we are a Christian? And are we doing what we're able to? Are we talking as we're able to about the gospel that they would have the picture we want them to consider? that they would see in us and they would experience here in us Christ and the power of the gospel. Verse 8 through 10. Give you a little bit more there. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I wish I could say with confidence, like Paul does, that I pray without ceasing for all of you by name. I'm not nearly that good. But I was asked earlier, somebody saw me yawning, um, if I had been up too late. And I said, no, I actually got up super early and I was up around, I don't know, four. I fell back to sleep a couple times. But one of the things that happens when I wake up in the middle of the night like that is I pray for you all. I hope you do too. If you can't figure out what to do if you're up late or up early or up in the middle of late and early, pray. If you fall back asleep praying, awesome. You get to sleep. And if you can't fall asleep praying, awesome. You're praying. You're talking to the most important being of all time about other very important beings. So spend those moments praying. But I was praying for some of you. I won't say who. Just assume it was you. Pray for the people that you encounter. Pray for the people that you serve and that you sit with. 
I'm actually going to ask you to pray right now with some people. So I'm not going to give you a long time, one or two minutes. But where you're at, if you're more comfortable praying on your own, that's fine. But where you're at and without moving a whole lot, pray with a couple people around you. Four, here's what we pray for in the youth ministries on Sunday, in Sunday school and Tuesday nights. Our first responders, our camps, the empty chair, I'll explain that later. Um, our missionaries, our ministry staff, pray for Benji and the Magnuses on sabbatical. But take one or two minutes to pray. Ready, set, go. Whoever's praying, you have 15 seconds to land the plane and say amen. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I, that I Paul, may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In 12, he expands it, though, and I love this. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And Paul makes it clear, while he plans on ministering to them, he also anticipates that it wouldn't be a one-way thing, that they would be mutually encouraging. That's the nature of the church, that we are a mutually encouraging people. You may never stand up front in front of people and and talk about the Bible with them formally, but that as we interact in the many ways that the church interacts, that we would mutually encourage each other in our faith. I want to encourage you, don't just take from the church. That is part of the American church. Hopefully not the evangelical church, but I know it's true quite often. Even more, hopefully not about here at Grace. But don't just take, not even from the preacher and leaders, Get involved. I would encourage you to consider getting involved in Sunday school. If you're coming at the 9 o'clock service right afterwards at 1030, we have great Sunday school classes out there. Get involved in small groups. You can find out what's going on and who's meeting where. And also get involved serving. Anybody who's a teacher can tell you how much more they learn from teaching and from working and serving than just from sitting and listening and reading that it forces us to think through and apply in a way that doesn't if we aren't in that serving role. Get involved in Kidsmen and Awana, even though it's on break right now. You can still talk to Randy about it and coming up in September and August when he starts planning for it. In youth ministry, in our college ministry, in teenagers, in men's ministry, in women's ministry. 
Get involved in our service teams like tech and the worship team and the celebration committee and the greeting and ushers team. And even car care. You may not know that happens, but it happens out in our parking lot. That's what that big thing out back is. As some of the men in the church work on some of the cars of those who need some help with their cars. It's not just because you don't feel like going into the mechanic, but it's a great ministry that's out there that serves a particular need in our church and our community. Get involved. Find a way. Don't just take, but as 12 says, interact in that mutually encouraging aspect of the church. In verse 15, he says, is he eager to preach the gospel? That's where we're going. Here's the start of the Romans road, so to speak. He kind of, in the first part, is just saying hello to them. And now he's going to start transitioning. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, even though they already know it. And then he's going to write this long letter to explain and make sure that they are on the same page of what the gospel is as what he is on. The same page that he elsewhere says he's on the same page as Peter and James and John. That he didn't learn it from them, but at various points, and one or two in particular, he confirmed they're preaching the same gospel. They are preaching it in Jerusalem. He is preaching it throughout the Gentile world, the Roman world around them. But he says, we're on the same page, the one that the prophets were on as well. And here's the Romans road. I'm going to give it to you in three different forms. This slide is going to be up there. Those of you who take notes, I can see you and the sweat's already building up and you're thinking, I can't get that down yet. It's going to be up there a long time and you can get it from me if you don't, if you don't get it all written down before that disappears. But the first one, the kind of traditional form of the Romans road, this is the elevator pitch. It's Romans 3.23 and 5.8. And 623, sometimes with 10, 9, and 10 thrown in as an altar call. And then, I don't know why, but people tacked on 1 John 1, 9 somewhere. I mean, I know why because of the verse, but it's John, not Paul. And you kind of left Rome, Romans, the book at least, on the Romans road. It's a great verse. Tack it on if you want to. That's totally okay. But those five are the standard or four, three maybe, the first three are the standard quick version of the gospel. The quickest, by the way, John 3.16 is pretty close to it. Read the context of John 3.16, though. It's also wonderful. Here's an expanded one. This is the middle that I've, I've used with our students. 1.16. Kind of throwing that on for this one, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 1.18 through 20. The start of next week's sermon, and it's tough. Next week's sermon is tough, by the way. It's a condemnation section of the gospel. It's not fun. It's valuable. It's important. It's calling us to repentance and sometimes explaining to the world what sin is and why we need to repent. But it's the start of it. 118 through 20, 215, and 323. That's the condemnation section. And then 58, 623, and 81 is the no condemnation or no longer condemnation through Christ. And then 10, 9, and 10, the altar call, with this one tacked on because it's part of the Romans road to 12, 1, and 2, transformation. The power of God transforms. A quarter of his book is about how to live in light of the gospel. 
So he writes this long essay of the gospel and then tells them, here's some of the impact it should have on your life in Romans 12 through 15 and 16. Here's the long form version though. This is the, I have a long time over several cups of coffee to sit down and explain Paul's long version of the gospel to you. This is what we're going to do this summer. 116, 118 through 20, 2, 1, 2, 15, 3, 10 and t- through 12. That one hits hard, by the way. 3.23, 4.16, 5.8 9, 6.23, 7, 4, 8, 1, 8.35 through 39, 9.16, 10, 9 and 10, 10, 14 through 17. That's the call to ambassadorship, to evangelism. 11.33 to 36, 12, 1 and 2, 13, 8 through 10, 14, 1 through 4, 15, 5 through 9a, that means the first part of it, and then 16, 19 and 20. But to be honest, the long form is simply Romans 1 through 11, or Romans 1 through 16. 1 through 11 is the gospel. 12 through 16 is the transformation. He says, I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to go through this long explanation to make sure you are grounded rightly and that we are on the same page. And then he says, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. They're dying for the gospel. They're being put in prison for the gospel. Paul kicked that off of putting people in prison and dying for the gospel until he was saved. And he looks at them and he says, I'm not ashamed. In a Roman and a Jewish world that is against the gospel, in a world, by the way, we would have done the same. It's not a Jewish thing, it's not a Roman thing, it's a sinful thing that's against the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. The last few months, this has really hit home with me in some really fun and cool ways. On the one hand, and I've heard this recently because it popped up going to Wildwood, uh, the girls that were in my car asked me to put on Newsboys, which was a total uh, youth ministry flashback. Uh, I know they're still making music, but their heyday was in the 90s, uh, 2000s maybe, before the kids in my car were born. But they, they wanted Newsboys. Of course, I had it, uh, so I put it on for them. Newsboys has a great, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed. Go look it up. It's old school now, which is weird for those of us that are older than it. But it's old school now, but go look it up. Also, though, my first youth group t-shirt was Romans 1.16. Handed it out to the kids and then found out another church in town, which was not a Christian church, was using it also, which just confused me, but I was kind of stuck at that point. And I'm like, but it's Romans. It's great. We're rolling with the t-shirts. I don't know what to do with that. But also, in the last couple months, there have been study upon study, last couple years coming out of COVID, study upon study, talking about the power of the gospel on community and communities. Here's a couple of them. You might have seen this more recently. It's not the study of the power of the gospel. It's the need of it. Teenagers in particular, but our culture as a whole, is struggling with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation, as well as loneliness, and maybe from loneliness, coming out of COVID. This is when I tell you, get your kids in the youth group. They really need it. Get your neighbors in the youth group. They really need it. 
get your neighbors in the church and your family members in the church if at all, all possible. They really need it. But in the last month, the Surgeon General official launched a website, and this caught a little bit of news, talking about the fact that we are suffering and even dying earlier they added the word possibly because they have to, but for not going to church. We're lonely and we're missing the benefits of this. Our city needs this. Our world needs this. And I think it's the Mayo Clinic that posted something. I was struggling to find it, but that's kind of where the, the sources come from. That the loneliness that we're struggling with that can be found countered in church is as bad as 15 cigarettes a day. I don't know who decided to go with that, that reference point, but that it's literally killing us because our culture has stopped going to church. And the Surgeon General posted it. They said, we have to recognize this is a reality. We can't tell you to go to church because we don't have a national religion, but we can tell you the benefits of going to church, and you all need to go. So much so that they launched an actual website for it. You can look it up. That is linked in my notes. I think that, I think I linked, well, maybe not the website, an article talking about it that had the link in it. During COVID, coming out of COVID, and this is not new. We have known this for years. I get to use this a lot in some stuff I do with the cities, with the city. Stanford and Harvard released two studies around 2020, 2018, going back pre-COVID a little bit, I guess. Um, one was COVID, one was earlier. Stanford was on school, that students that go to youth group and church get better grades. I've mentioned this one before. I can't promise that in September, if you get them to youth group, they'll get a 4.0 right away. But I can tell you this, they'll get better. That's what the stats say. They're in my favor. Like I said, I get to use that with the schools. I get to use that. Hey, however you feel about God, if you're at least open to it, you should get them the youth group. They'll do better in engagement and success at school. Stanford, the religious hotbed of Stanford, right? Stanford showed us, and every other study that, every study that comes out on this keeps saying the same thing. Christian students are at the top of the list academically, which is funny when you think about it, but they are. If you don't know why that's funny, come talk to me sometime. It's not us, it's not us, it's how the world perceives us. Harvard, dealing with COVID and mental health, I think this came out after that because I think they've referenced it specifically. Harvard found out that kids that are involved, people that are involved, but kids in particular in church and youth group are one of the few that are doing well in regards to mental health. Actually doing better even because we have purpose. We have hope when the world's falling apart. You look at relationship studies and it shows that despite what you've heard, Christians do divorce less. We still got to work on that. That we're healthier, however you think about that, it's true. That we even have a more active romantic life within marriage despite what Hollywood keeps pushing at us. Purity culture has taken a social media hit lately, sometimes for good reason. But let's address sexual revolution realities. They're not better. Living a Christian life is good for you. The power of the gospel impacts culture significantly. You can even look at stuff like the pocket of Loma Linda Seventh-day Adventist longevity. And keep in mind, those of you that are familiar with L.A., that's where all the smog goes is Loma Linda. 
all of it goes to Loma Linda, and they're outliving people because of living biblically, however you feel about Seventh-day Adventists. You might have heard of religion as a, its famous quotes, as a crutch and an opiate. What a crutch and what an opiate. The studies all show it. But it's actually the Bible that agrees with that statement because it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, if that's all it's for, we're pitiable. It's so much more than just that. The prophets talked about it. We have the Gospels that are talking about in Luke 1 and John 20 and 21 that they want to persuade you to follow Christ, not just for health benefits, but for eternal benefits. 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The stats and studies are great. I love using them. But the power of gospel is not the stats and studies. It might be what they show. It's your testimony. It's eternity and salvation. It's God transforming you, us, individuals. It's the power of God to save your testimony, by the way, what happened before Christ, coming to Christ, and what has happened since Christ. That's your testimony. If you didn't know what it is, to make it even simpler, it's just your story with Jesus. It's not the story of all of your life. That may weave in and out of it. It's your story with Jesus. The transformative power of God through captivating stories. My life was in the pits and God saved me and I haven't struggled since. Or the sensational testimonies that we hear and we all love. We just heard one at Wildwood. And it's powerful. There's a young man that's battling cancer. And when he says that sin is a cancer, it hits different than if I say it. Because he's actively fighting and maybe losing the fight to cancer. But then he compared it and it was a big impact but also talking about how God is carrying him through the fight with cancer, win or lose. But it's also the protective power of God. Church kids, I'm talking to you, whether you're 80 or 8. Your testimonies are not boring. There's no such thing. Because it's still the transformative power of God, even if it's the protective power of God. They might not be as extreme as somebody else's. But it's sometimes the power of God to spare and guide through the pitfalls of our world. And don't forget about the cultural rebelliousness of a quiet and simple life, a quiet and peaceful life the scripture talks about. Look at the California teachers that are holding the fort and taking a stand in a system that sometimes fights against them. And look at how radical they are, even if they're just teaching for the students that are on public campuses, especially at college, where maybe they're being challenged in a new way. Paul's talking about an eternal impact that redeems from the fall and the curse. And that's really important to hold on to because of where he goes next. It's important because Paul, in the next part of the Roman road, chapters 1 through 3, the second half of 1 all the way through 3, is going to go to condemnation. But he starts with, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Next week's going to test this for some of us. Condemnation is the most uncomfortable part of Paul's argument. But hang in there through the redemption part. Because the gospel is the power of God to save. That's why Paul condemns everyone. Not one or two people, not one or two groups. Paul is going to destroy and demolish everybody in Romans 1 through 3. If it doesn't hit home, you maybe aren't paying attention when you read or hear it. But it's for the purpose of reminding that the gospel is the power of God to save. One of the things I want you to be praying for this summer is what we in the youth group call the empty chair. For our church, I think I've mentioned this before, it's the pew and parking spot commitment and prayer challenge. Number one, that you would think of somebody that doesn't know Christ that you would pray, that they would take a spot in our pews and our parking lot. Pray that they would join us at Grace. Even more, pray that they would come to Christ, whether they're at Grace or another church. But pray that they would come to Christ. Invite them to church. It's the second one. Offer them a Bible. If you don't have a spare to give them and you have someone that would take a Bible, see us in the snack bar in the youth room. We have something to give away. If we run out, I'll reorder. That's a great problem when it happens. Pray that they'd come to Christ, invite them to church, offer them a Bible. And this one shouldn't terrify us. Romans 10, 14 through 17 talks about it, but commit to sharing the gospel with them this summer. See if you can find an open door that God has created that you can share the gospel with them in the traditional short version or the long form version, depending on what you have. A couple other challenges for the summer. If you're game, some of these are more than I'm going to do, so don't feel bad if you don't want to do a particular one or all of them. I would encourage you to pick one or two of them. First one is this. Read it all in one setting. That's how it was written. It's long form. Find some time, a Saturday, an evening, a Sunday afternoon, to read all of Romans. It takes an hour to read it out loud, or if you push play on your phone, that counts, to listen to it. Do it during your workout. If you're working out for an hour and you don't want to, or instead of listening to a podcast, listen to Romans. But read it all in one shot, one setting. Second one. Read it each week throughout the summer and through the series, the next two months. Break it up into chapters throughout the week, especially if you've already read it in one shot. Read it in the NASB, the ESV, the NIV, the HCSB. Read it in a version that you'll understand. Some of you love King James. Great, read it in King James. Some of you read the King James and have no clue what you've read. Find a new version. If you don't understand it, find a version you understand it in. You can work really hard to understand it in King James if you're just all in on King James. But read a version you'll understand. Here's another one. This is the King of, Kings of Israel challenge. This is harder than it sounds. Write your own copy. Some of us, writing is how our brain remembers. You might remember that from school back in the day, even if it was only two weeks ago. Writing helps us. That comes from Deuteronomy 17. The kings were supposed to write a copy of the law. Go, go journal it. Write it word for word. It'll also show you and remind you how hard they had to work to get us the copies we have 
of scripture, and they worked really hard at it and did a really good job. Every time I mess up, I am in the process of writing a copy of Romans right now, and there's scribbles and everything. I'm like, I'm so bad at this. I'm glad I was not an Old Testament scribe. They would have fired me. I'm not, my, they can't, also, you, nobody will ever be able to read my copy. My penmanship is horrible, but it's been a really neat undertaking. Three memorization challenges. The first one, memorize the Romans road. You pick which version. I have most of the expanded, mem- I have all the expanded memorized. That doesn't mean it comes back when I try to remember it, but it's in there. It's rattling around my brain somewhere. The long form, I haven't done that one yet. I just came up with a lot of it doing this series. But memorize it. It's valuable. Memorize chapter 8. We just did this with Derek Thomas in uh, the evening uh, DVD series. We just wrapped it up. It was excellent. But memorize chapter 8. It's a powerful chapter. The other one, for those of you that can, those of you that have the time, those of you want a big challenge, memorize the whole book. Try it. Here's one of the things, I just mentioned this at camp. One of the things I love about memorization, even if you fail, you still got God's word in your head more. So you didn't, you didn't fail at all, you succeeded. You didn't hit the goal, but it worked because you were thinking about Romans the whole time you were trying. Take, take up a challenge, but here's the thing. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Even when it makes us uncomfortable like next week, it is the power of God to save and transform. And it's so powerful, it has undeniable impacts on our culture that even, again, the religious hotbeds of Harvard and Stanford have to recognize. That makes the Surgeon General post a website that says you should probably go to church, at least if you want to live a little longer because we're dying when we ignore the gospel. What that website doesn't understand is we're already condemned and we're already dead if we're ignoring the gospel. But Jesus gives us life. Let's pray. Lord, mighty and holy, we praise your name. Transform us and also thank you that you are transforming us. That none of us who have claimed you are the same today as we were yesterday. And Lord, we look forward to eternity when that transformation is fully realized. But help us all also to look forward to tomorrow that though we are righteous and sanctified, you are also sanctifying us actively each day. Lord, let us be excited about the moments where we see how you've transformed and are transforming us by the power of the gospel. Amen.